0: Hello and welcome to Deep Tech Talk, a tech podcast from BIS Research. I'm your host, Shambhavicha and today we have Ander, who is the director of the Center for Bioinformatics and Functional Genomics at Miami University. And in today's podcast, we will try to uncover some deep tech insights around functional genomics and understand how it is actually going to impact the overall functional genomics market. Hi, Ander, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, th- I'm glad to be here.
0: So, uh, for uh, my first and foremost question is, what is your understanding of functional genomics, Ando?
1: So, this is a broad term and it's generally used to refer to all the genes and the intergenic regions that contribute to a biological process or processes and the functions. So not necessarily just the parts of the gene that encode the protein, but parts of the genes that regulate the expression, um, parts of the um, uh, intergenic regions that contribute to the enhancement of expression or the repression of expression. So it's really a catch-all term that's used to refer to how we control basically what we see. Um, So when you look in the mirror, uh, you are the product of your functional genes or your functional genomics and yeah. that includes protein expression um epigenetics epigenet- epigenomics overall physiological response so it can it depending on who's using the term it can refer to a lot of different things in many cases in terms of the biotech industry it's really referring to disease states and non-disease states
0: Okay, understood. So taking a few points from what you mentioned right now, um, epigenomics, transcriptomics, proteomics, and metabolomics, what my research said, um, do you agree with that statement that all of these terminologies make up functional genomics?
1: Yes, they can, absolutely. And you don't necessarily have to look at all of them to look at uh, different aspects of functional genomics. So it, there's mm-hmm. a, it's a very wide and diverse field, and there's a lot of um, emerging technologies. So it's it can be really um, it can be really uh, challenging to keep ahead of all of these things.
0: Yeah, totally. So um, can you also describe different technologies used in functional genomics research, like as far as my research goes. Um, I have heard that NGS and CRISPR for now are the big ones, and CRISPR is something that has bloomed in a really big way and is now, of course, widely used.
1: Yeah, so CRISPR is a, is a technology that allows us to change the genetic code of an individual. Um, so if you think about something uh, such as sickle cell anemia, which is caused by a single-point mutation, we can now go in and change that particular point mutation and cure those people uh, of that uh, ailment. Uh, the trouble with CRISPR is that it has um, more off-target effects than we initially thought. Those are effects where we're actually changing parts of the genome that we didn't intend to. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of uh, caution towards using CRISPR as a kind of a a cure-all for things. And so it's kind of reserved for the very difficult diseases where there is no other alternative. Um, NGS is next-generation sequencing or high-throughput sequencing. So that's a very, very um, uh, widely used technique. One of the things that we're starting to use in combination with this next-generation sequencing is we're looking at things that are, some companies will call IsoSeq, or looking at um, uh, intact uh, Mm -hmm. RNA sequencing. And Mm -hmm. what's been found is that there are some, some of these um, very low level expression uh, genes that have a very, very big impact on disease states, development, stress response and up till now we really haven't had the actual technology to be able to sequence them and so now that we're starting to understand how they work um, these are becoming very important um, biomarkers if you will of uh, a disease state that's happening or a, a stress response or something like that so we're getting to the point where we're being able to use technologies um and to ask questions that we couldn't ask five, 10 years ago. So there's more and more uh, information becoming available and we're beginning to associate it more with disease states. We're beginning to associate it with um, different expression profiles. And so our information is just getting better and better and better.
0: Yeah, in fact, um, when I was studying about this also, I got to know that, you know, genome-wide expression analysis is one of the major parts of functional genomics. And it has been increasing exponentially when it comes to, you know, clinical medicine and RNA analysis and NGS sequencing. So, yeah, I think it's it's a lot in the market.
1: That's an excellent, uh, excellent example. Uh, And one of the things that was very challenging when we when the industry and, and people first started doing that was there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of uh, information. So mm-hmm. we didn't know what the, what the signal from the noise was. Now that um, the genome uh, sequencing has gotten so much cheaper and so much faster, we're accumulating more and more data and with better and better bioinformatics analyses, we're able to sort out what is a real um, change that we should be worried about versus the normal type of uh, variability that exists within the, the population.
0: Yeah, that, that is so interesting. And in fact, when we look at this market overall, what do you think are the factors responsible for the growth of the functional genomics market? What, what is the actually driving uh, pointers that, you know that is actually helping in the growth of this market?
1: Well, often new technologies um, are really the, the, the privy of universities. And once they move away from the research labs and become commercialized and become routine, then you see widespread adoption. So often much of the technology that people are aware of five, 10 years ago was uh, solely in the realm of uh, government funded laboratories, where uh, it's very experimental it's very uh, it's very touch and go and then as the technology moves to becoming more reproducible, simpler easier easier to use um, automation um, takes over and we we put a lot of these um, processes um, uh, sample processing sequencing onto robotics uh, mm-hmm. and then what the other thing that we we do is we simplify the chemistry initially when you're when you're doing something uh you can think of it like cooking well if you have to come up with a a, a fancy new recipe it's usually very long winded and there's multiple steps and then as you develop the recipe and you decide yeah. okay I'm going to teach people how to do this you start to simplify it and you realize that maybe you didn't need every single complicated step and so what happens is uh, you you develop automation, you simplify the chemistry, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: try to reduce the need for specialty expensive instrumentation, and mm-hmm. you t- try to make this um, cost effective. And so one of the things that um, has really shifted in a lot of these markets is that previously the instruments were um, singular purpose. So they were only good for one particular assay. And what's happening now is that the companies that are developing the instrumentation are developing it so uh, the components can be switched out much like Lego. So depending upon which procedure, which analysis you need to do, you can switch out the pieces. And so mm-hmm. the platform itself is uh, stays the same and the individual assay component part gets plugged in. Um, So there's been a number of um, technical advances, engineering advances, uh, chemistry is getting better, just everything is is getting faster and better. And because of the um, suitability for this, for diagnostics, Mm -hmm. there's a market demand. So, you know, um, not to be crass, but if there was no money in this, um, you know, you wouldn't see the investment in it uh, to to generate the the final products and to streamline totally.
0: things. Yeah, totally agreeable. In fact, when I was reading about this, the I, I found out that the incorporation of multiomics approaches, when it comes to you know people's benefit and patient stratification and population genomics, majorly. It's currently being done in such a wide range of disease areas that including cancer, cardiovascular disease, and neurological disorders. I think when it comes to uh, covering up diseases, it's covering like an umbrella term. And in fact, one of the leading companies quoted that sixty six percent of the life science research is incorporating multiomics.
1: yeah, that that's a really good um, point that one of the nice things about the multiomics approach, is that um we've developed the chemistries we as a as a science has developed the chemistries so that we don't need to take uh four different samples from the same person we can take a single sample and split that sample into four different pieces and perform each of the analyses each of those four analyses on that single sample and relate it back to that one particular um, biopsy sample so when you combine all that kind of data, so you combine, let's say, uh, epigenetic sequencing, and we look at expression sequencing, and then we look at mm-hmm. genome sequencing, and then we look at you know the structure of the chromatin. So you look at all of these different um, omics kinds of uh, approaches, and then you may, may look at uh, protein expression. We get a really good profile of what's going on on mm-hmm. all sorts of different uh, regulatory levels. And what that helps is that it, along with doing this over and over and over again in a great uh, number of people, it gives Mm -hmm. the clinical physician uh, uh, an ability to really pinpoint what is happening to the individual. And in many cases, uh, far ahead of the advanced disease state.
0: Yeah and and as you must be aware like the field of drug discovery has been you know in under constant progress and over the time i have also noticed that a plethora of new technologies have become available which can actually detect and analyze these changes that has become the starting point of drug development so how do you think the functional genomics research is impacting the drug development and discovery part
1: um well it's it's affecting it directly i can i can relate a story about the Huntington's protein so yeah. you know when, when that was um, when the structure of that protein was published in uh, research scientific journals um, you have all these large ph- pharmaceutical companies like Merck and Eli Lilly and so on and so forth and they develop compounds uh, and they profile these compounds and they they analyze them and then they put them on the shelf and they store them And when structures of particular molecules and disease molecules or or proteins involved in different pathologies get published, these automatically get fed into their databases and get scanned. And um, in some cases, in many cases, uh, Mm -hmm. the um, molecule actually finds a counterpart in a drug that's already been developed maybe five years ago sitting on the shelf. And so all you have to do is retrieve the drug and begin your clinical trials. So in many cases, um, drug development and the ability to know the structures and to have the computer analysis to say this particular compound that we made five years ago is now a you know a very good candidate for an interaction with this particular protein in this pathology. I mean, that's very, very, very fast and very rapid. So Mm -hmm. we're getting away from the single, the kind of cartoonish, uh, Hollywood concept of a single scientist working long hours and trying to figure out how things work. Now it's a a high throughput approach, not only on the, the analysis of the genes, but it's a high throughput approach on the design of drugs and screening of drugs and matching them to compounds which get published. And I believe that the Huntington's um, protein, uh, that mm. was one of the uh, uh, seminal discoveries where they put, they found a few uh, candidate compounds uh, and they, they started um, to go into uh, uh, phase one trials. Um, so, but there's example after example after example of these types of approaches and in many cases um you know computer technology the technology like with the alpha fold uh, to be able to look at the structure predictive structures of Mm -hmm. genes and proteins just based on their sequence um has really accelerated drug discovery and drug design yeah so um when companies design drugs now they will design not only the drug they they think that might work but they might Look at a, a whole series of derivatives. And yeah, so, more like in
0: a targeted way, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And and so it it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting because uh, it it speeds the process up. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. So, and are we also facing some challenges uh, in this industry?
1: Yeah. So the biggest challenge I think is is the speed, um, in terms of um, getting. Um, things uh, uh, analyzed. And the other uh, biggest problem is cost. So, and I'm talking about the uh, per uh, diagnostic test cost. Uh, if money's no object, you can mm-hmm. do a lot of these technologies and, and they work great. Um, yeah. But you need to do it within a, a, a reasonable amount of time. And the companies are really focusing on either while you're waiting in the doctor's office or within a few hours. And then the other aspect is, can we bring the cost down so that it's not astronomically expensive? And can we automate it? In many in many cases, we're still relying on fairly uh, highly trained people mm-hmm. to do very kind of routine um, analytical uh, or analyses on these particular uh, metabolites or, or samples. If we can uh, take this type of approach and automate mm-hmm. it and yeah. have it um, analyzed in a very rapid and quick way, uh, there's significant advantages. One is is you re- reduce the cost, which mm-hmm. is great, but you also reduce the amount of mistakes. Um, yeah. Processing. Mm-hmm hundreds to thousands of samples per day, human beings tend not to be very good at that and they Mm -hmm. tend to uh, make mistakes. So if you think about this in the same way as uh, putting a car together on an assembly line, as you speed the assembly line up faster and faster, people make more mistakes, whereas robots don't. So this is the big challenge is is to be, be, you know, when you go in for your yearly checkup and you get a blood Mm -hmm. draw um, it, it'd be great if you could have your uh, blood analyzed for any kind of metabolites, any types of proteins that may be indicators of uh, upcoming or the onset, early onset of a particular mm-hmm. disease, if the physician can get that information very quickly, and so that there can be mitigation put in, because as NIH has done multiple studies in the United States, Yeah. Uh, Early intervention is extraordinarily cost effective um, when it comes to disease diagnosis.
0: When it comes to, you know, diagnosis and uh, taking all of the data from population, ultimately the use of human genetic data for research purposes at the end of the day requires compliance with regulations, right? and the use of genetic information in non-medical research, for example, you can take ancestry testing or forensic investigations. This, all of these raises ethical concerns because I think there's such a great requirement for uh, regulations and guidelines to ensure that the use of data is conducted ethically and respects the privacy rights of individuals. So do you think they're also lacking somewhere there?
1: Yeah, that's a a great point. And as we've seen with just about every single technology that changes things, the law has to play catch-up. And a lot of it uh, occurs because people just don't even think about that. Uh, Mm -hmm. People don't think about um, what happens if I send my DNA into uh, company X and company X sequences it and then sells it to a a health insurance company or a life insurance company or associates me with a predisposition for a a behavior or a disease, but I might never exhibit that behavior. I might never get that disease. And so Mm -hmm. we we really are um, in the terms of the general public, they're just beginning to, I think, understand. And a lot of it has come through, like you mentioned, ancestry DNA type um, analyses and association of that data with you know forensics and criminal arrests um, they're really beginning to understand the impact of dna sequencing now there's a lot of positive things right uh yeah. but you know along with the positives are responsibilities and i think in the in the research environment in a research setting we always are cognizant of all of that and we have lots of procedures that we have to follow and lots of paperwork and we have to keep the data protected and so on and so forth but in many cases um, commercial entities unless there's a law for it they they are not obligated to do much of this and so I would urge a little bit of caution on the consumers Mm -hmm. um, part but uh, I would hope that uh, people in respective countries would ask their lawmakers to Mm -hmm. look into this and to, to protect them because at the end of the day, um, we don't want this to become a source of discrimination uh and uh, and a source of, of of negative um uh treatment of people. And so there's yeah. so many positives that can come from it that um we do we do need to make sure that um it's not exploited for um just strictly nefarious means.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally so when we talk about data like we have talked about the ancestry testing and uh, the ethical concerns regarding the data but machine learning and artificial intelligence i think play a very great role in every aspect of healthcare in today's day so where do you understand that you know how do you see the role of artificial intelligence and machine learning in functional genomics
1: well um i think some of the some of the greatest examples are in imaging processing so Mm -hmm. in in terms of an example will be developmental biology Um, machine learning has really started to be able to look at these highly complex images at early stages of development and be very good predictors of anomalies and now this is in the research environment in the in the clinical diagnostics they've used machine learning to look at X-rays. And it looked. And if you train the intelligence to look at thousands and thousands of different X-rays, let's say chest X-rays, um, they actually turn out to be better at identifying early uh, uh, incidents of uh, lung cancer tumors than a very well-trained radiologist. And so there's a very uh, positive role for machine learning and artificial intelligence to go through and data mine and be able to connect all these thousands of bits of data and to, to be able to inform us of what's happening. The downside of that, of course, is mm-hmm. probably the same downside as what many um, AI specialists are concerned with in terms of these new um, uh, chat bots and yeah. the um, you know implementation of these AIs into uh, daily computer systems is that we have to put some type of um, boundaries around them, some type of controls. And this is, again, this is not my field per se, but um, uh, listening to some of the experts, that there, there, there are some concerns there.
0: Yeah, totally. And in fact, when we talk about um, machine learning, I I think uh, it is going to accelerate drug discovery in functional genomics and in other aspects of drug discovery, as well as gene expression analysis, you know, when it comes to predicting the function of uncharacterized genes, and the researchers are still in the phase one. So I think that'll that'll play a very great role.
1: Very much so. I think that's probably going to be The greatest advance for artificial intelligence is to be able to look at a sequence and say, Mm -hmm. this gene does X and it's shaped like Y. And so that will be a a huge advancement because that currently now is a very difficult task to do in terms of um, wet bench work. So if we can get some predictive analytics on that, that would Mm -hmm. be great. Yeah. So when we...
0: (laughs) talk about all of these functions and applications. Where do you think functional genomics stands in the market in the upcoming years from now? Let's say five to 10 years when we look at this market from now.
1: I, I think the real focus will be to get it into the hands of um, your family physician, to to get these assays um, into small boxes and to get them into... Uh, to get them into uh, daily use so that um, a number of uh, established biomarkers can be uh, assessed immediately. So we now go for all sorts of tests like cholesterol and um, sugar and um, different you know, biomarkers. I think we're just mm-hmm. gonna see an increase in that. And we're gonna see the ability to perhaps look at certain gene um, changes, some certain signal uh, Uh, nucleotide polymorphisms and Mm -hmm. i tie those into um uh, predictive uh pathologies that might be coming and i i think it's just going to expand and get faster and better and so and hopefully that it saves a lot of people and 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 reduces the overall cost um and the burden on the on the healthcare industry
0: yeah in fact when when we talk about cost i think as you mentioned already that you know Money can sort any kind of issue when it comes to healthcare, and we are still somewhere struggling in that segment. I think.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, the earlier again, it, the earlier we can we can find something, um, the faster we can mitigate it, and mm-hmm. then it, it doesn't become an issue. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people work for employers that require them to have yearly physicals. And I think that that, uh, that has made a difference for a lot of people's lives. So early intervention, I think, is the key. Um, uh-huh. It's much easier to treat, treat somebody earlier on in, in the disease state rather than, you know, way past uh, any uh, window of opportunity. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, for Great. sure. So Great. I think functional genomics and, and a lot of this applied technology is going to be, uh, is going to be really relevant uh, on a daily basis to a lot of people.
0: Awesome. Great. So uh, thank you so much, Ando, for sharing uh, invaluable insights on today's topic. And I am 100% sure that this would have given a lot clearer understanding to our interested listeners of the prospects of functional genomics market.
1: Okay, great. Well, happy to have the conversation. And thank you.
0: So thank you very much, people, for listening to Deep Tech Talk, a tech podcast by BIS Research. In case you wish to know more about different industries, do visit our website at www.bisresearch.com and read through the different market intelligence studies that have been published by us across industries. If you enjoyed this episode, please do follow us on Spotify and Amazon Music.